Thank you for listening to today's message. Avenue Church is a Christian church located in Las Vegas. For more information, visit avenuechurch.cc. Enjoy the message. All right. I just, I love this series. Remix is all about love, marriage, and sex. And you might be thinking, well, marriage, I'm not married, I'm dating. That's okay. Remix is for you. You might be saying, I'm single. I'm not even thinking about dating. Guess what? Remix is for you. And if you're like, I'm already married, I've been married, it ain't going, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Well, it's for you. And so here's why, because Proverbs 19:20 says this, get all the advice and instruction you can so that you will be wise the rest of your life. And so guess what? The things that we are learning throughout these series are invaluable for years and years to come. So I am just so excited. But before we get into the message today, we have been having some fun with your 90s photos. So we have asked, send us what you look like in the 90s. And and hear me, friends, like that was almost 20, 30 years ago. That's hard to think about it that way. But over 20 years ago, we're getting a sneak peek of what you look like. And so you are sharing it with us and we're sharing it with the church. And so let's go ahead and put up a couple of 90s photos that we've got. This is Nicole and Alina. They are sisters. Nicole is our worship coordinator. She makes sure that we have an awesome worship experience every Sunday. And Alina is an incredible. See, we're just so grateful for them. And so let's see what they look like in the 90s. Come on. Ladies, how many of y'all had that dress, right? Look like you were wearing a doily on your neck. I had that dress too. That's okay. Let's go to our next 90s photo. That is Miss Cynthia. We love Cynthia. She also sings on our worship team. She serves on our connect team, our prayer team. I've been, I've been doing life with Cynthia for a lot of years. So let's see what Cynthia looked like in the 90s. Aw, so cute. All right, let's see the next picture. Almost. That's Miss Catherine Clemens. Come on, we love, we love some Cat. Cat has a huge heart to make a difference in the community. In fact, she's working on medical outreaches right now for Las Vegas. Check out her 90s photo. Now that is her and her sister and her dad. Does her dad not look like he belongs in a TV show? Right? He's got like that thick curly mullet. That's awesome. That is 90s. We got just a couple more for you. That is your very own Pastor Lindsay and her sister. <laughs> You know that stage where your teeth grow a little bit faster than your face? Um, That was where I was at. In fact, I showed my picture to the sister, or I showed this picture to my sister, and she goes, you realize you yanked those teeth out of my mouth, right? I said, yes, I did. In fact, just this week, my son lost another tooth because mom yanked it out of his mouth. I've been yanking teeth for 30 years, people. It's awesome. But that is us, and well, you know what I look like now. And so the next picture is a special one. Let's go ahead and show the next one. That is my husband, Pastor Jeremy, right? The jean jacket is still cool. Jeremy will tell you, and if he doesn't tell you, I'm gonna tell you right now. He went through a phase where he would not wear jeans. He only wore sweatpants, Zumbas, like all that fun stuff. So that, those sweatpants. <laughs> but the denim jacket has made it back. So that is awesome. And so send us your photos. We still have two more weeks of remix and we would love to see what you look like in the 90s. But before, I got, I got one more thing for you. Uh, we're talking about communication today. But I laugh because I go back to what communication was like 25, 30 years ago. Why don't you check out these communication commercials from the 90s? Why haven't you called home? Mom, you remember when I told you that my friend was sick? Mom, 
the rotary phone got stuck because it got a lot of rust around the motor. I think I have amnesia. Why haven't you called? Moms always know when you're lying. One excuse you don't have anymore is price. Your mom's gonna love this. Introducing 1-800-OPERATOR from AT&T. There's no lower price for a collect call. Just spell it out. 1-800-O-P-E-R-A-T-O-R. Remember, if it's not 1-800-OPERATOR, it's not AT&T. I love you, Mom. All right, be honest. How many of y'all have called 1-800-OPERATOR? Come on. Where I've called 1-800-OPERATOR, I was at a friend's house, and when we went for a walk, and I'm like, oh my God, I didn't tell my mom where I was going. And that was before cell phones. Come on, there were no cell phones in 1992 for teenagers. And so I found a pay phone, and I called 1-800-OPERATOR. Now, we have actually brought back, now in the 2000s, we brought back this 90s commercial because it's enjoyed so much. So check out our last commercial. Uh, operator, I'd like to make a collect call, please. First name, Bob. Last name is... We auto baby eats a boy. Hello? Collect call for Mr. Bob. We auto baby eats a boy. Sorry, wrong number. Who's that, dear? Bob. They had a baby. It's a boy. If you like saving money, call GEICO. A 15-minute call could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Last name is We auto baby eats a boy. Eight pounds, three ounces. Mother's doing fine. Thanks for watching a video from the best of Isn't that awesome, you guys? I love it. I love it. We're missing out on the 90s. My son doesn't even know that a phone had buttons, right? It's all just touch screen for his generation. And so Remix has been based on this scripture right here. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke about childish matters. For I saw things like a child would see them, and I reasoned like a child. But the day came up when I matured. Can you say matured? matured. Come on, friends, we grew up. And so when we matured, we set aside our childish ways. So Remix is all about putting aside our childish way of seeing things, our teenage views of relationships, and we're going to put on an adult perspective on relationships, on what God intends for a relationship to look like. See, how many of y'all know even with Jesus, relationships can be tough, right? Even with Jesus as the center of our lives, relationships are hard. And if you get with people and you ask them, what is the biggest struggle? Because hear me, we've been learning about this pyramid, right? That we want to have a strong foundation in our relationships. We want to have the spiritual. But what I want to talk to you today about is the interpersonal. That, that you're getting to know somebody. And hear me, interpersonal continues after marriage. And all the married folks say, Amen. What is interpersonal? This is your communication. This is the fusing together of two lives, two very different people, and how do we make that work? And so today I want to talk to you about communication, because even with Jesus in our lives, it's still hard to understand one another, isn't it? See, we are not born with the wisdom and the abilities to communicate well. We learn to talk, of course. But we aren't born with how to solve conflict and how to work through things and how to share and understand. We're not born with those things. In fact, the way that we really learn communication is what did we see growing up? What do we see? So I would ask you, how did your parents communicate? And if you weren't raised in a household with your parents, how did your grandparents communicate? Some were raised in, in a foster care home or an adoptive home. Well, how did they communicate? Because a lot of times what we have seen growing up is what we duplicate in our relationships. Were your parents the type where they argued and you saw a resolution? Or was there a big old blowout in the living room and then you never know what happened? 
Was it the type of family where one family member would announce at dinner time something that would change the whole family and the other leader in the family had no idea about anything? What did you grow up in? Or did you grow up in a family where you didn't talk about anything? You didn't know your parents fight, but you sure didn't see them communicate a lot. How, how did you grow up? See, I can tell you that my family, I grew up in a very direct family. Jeremy grew up, and he'll tell you his family was very passive. And so in my family, you didn't have to ask what we were thinking or feeling, because we already told you. In fact, we told you right away. We told you at the dinner table. <laughs> we told you when we were getting ready for school or for work. We even told you in the line at the grocery store, regardless of who was around you. We told you what we were thinking or what we were feeling. Jeremy's family, nobody knew what was going on with anybody because they didn't talk about it. They were very passive about it. And so here you have a man and a woman, Jeremy and Lindsay, who decide we're in love and we want to get together and get married. Well, you have a very direct individual and you have a very passive-like individual. And so we bring our lives together. What do you do? See, marriage is when two become one flesh, right? And hear me, you might think, I'm not married. Well, guess what, honey? You may be one day and you need to communicate. You can use these examples that I'm going to talk about today. You can communicate better with your boss, with your employees, with your family. And so I'm excited to be sharing with you today. So how did your family communicate? See, things happen in relationships, and they don't always go our way, do they? Things happen in life that we're not necessarily always prepared for. And so when a person is healthy, it's not because their life is void of conflict. I never want you to think that. See, many times when people think that, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm not allowed to have any conflict in my life. No, (laughs) there's conflict in my life on a weekly basis. Relationships, healthy relationships are not void of conflict, but they know how to communicate through conflict. And so a healthy relationship looks like, well, this is my week. And let's just say I did not meet a deadline at work. And hear me, friends, we would love to say that we leave it all on the driveway, right? We would love to say that we leave it all at work or we leave it in our car, but that is not always the truth, is it? I come in and I am heated or I'm frustrated or I'm broken down. Why? Because I didn't meet a deadline. But if I have a healthy communication with my family and within my relationship or even with my spouse, I can let it out. We can talk about it. I can process it without hurting people. What if my child, my teenage child, is doing things that I cannot post about on Facebook, things that I never thought my kid would do, This is hard for me, right? But if I come home and we're talking about it as as husband and wife or in a relationship, I can process it. Or what if I'm at the age where my parents are getting much older and my parents need hands-on attention now. And they had cared for me so many years ago, but now it's coming to the point where I need to care for them. And it's filling my life up with a multitude of things. If I do not have a relationship in which I can communicate, it's going to stay there. But if I have a healthy communication, even the toughest of subjects, I can let out. But here's what happens. Because when two people come together, we are different. Hear me. And if you say, oh, no, we're different. We agree on everything. Then honestly, friends, somebody's being way too submissive and someone's being way too powerful. Okay, It means means you haven't created an atmosphere which someone can really say what they're thinking. Because he and I are very much different people. (laughs) We are so different. And so when the differences come together, we process things differently. We think about things differently. And sometimes in a relationship, because you process differently, it gets too hard to communicate. Because you don't get it the first time I say it, I don't want to say it again. 
because we've already kept hitting this wall over and over and over again, and we're getting nowhere at the same place. I'm just going to stop talking about it. But what happens is that life still continues, doesn't it? Bad things still happen. Family members are still struggling. And if I do not let it out, pop, you're going to blow up. Somebody in the relationship is going to blow up. And help me all know, you can't always control when the blowout happens, right? The blowout can happen at work, in a meeting. They didn't do nothing to you, but you already had it out with your spouse before you even got to work. And that poor little secretary just got a beat down from you that they didn't even deserve because you went pop. Well, what about at a birthday party? Come on, you've been at awkward birthday parties, don't you lie? <laughs> birthday parties are work. Getting everything together and you want the place set and ready when everybody arrives? But what if somebody wasn't helpful that day? What if your child had done something and you are just, bah, 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 right? You're angry, you're, you're, all, you're right there. And one, and one person just says one thing, family reunion. See, we all know this because we've all popped at some point or another. I've popped. I don't know if you've popped. Maybe once or twice. I'm the tougher one, friends. Let's just be real. This is remix. I'll be honest. I'm the tougher one. But anyways, we all have these moments, but I want to help you. Because let's say you've been married 15 years and you haven't communicated. Hear me. Sex can be great in your relationship. Your children can be awesome. Finances are good. There's plenty. There's in savings. You have a plan. But if you don't have communication, do you know that none of that stuff matters? You will still be frustrated. And what happens is instead of sitting down and having these meaningful conversations with the person who you should be able to be the most vulnerable with, it seems like we are coexisting instead of being one. We're cohabitating instead of being one flesh. And yet God has called two different people to come together to become one. Not losing yourself, but mutually coming together in a place where we can understand. That's what communication is. It's not just talking, it's do I understand you? I may not have reacted the same way you react. I might not even feel the same way you feel, but I understand that you feel that way and I'm listening. And so what I wanna do is if the last 15 years were not good, do you have vision for the next 15 years? Do you even think, friends, that things can be different? Because hear me, if we don't think that things can be different, then why am I even a Christian that believes that God can change all things? If I don't think that my marriage can't be remixed, that communication can't be remixed, then how do I stand in faith for so many other things? We believe and we pray and we intercede for everybody else. Your moms, your dads, your aunts, your uncles, you guys are caretakers. But the most, like the most important relationship, apart from a relationship with Jesus, is with the person who you are planning to spend the rest of your life with. And if we cannot communicate, then we are missing out on the oneness. So, so let me give you some vision real quick. Do you know that if we improve communication within a relationship, that your feelings can grow in love and affection? If we put into use some effective tools of communication with your spouse or with your loved one or relationship, then you know it can, it can guide you to developing the unity that God has always wanted for you. And you can feel deep appreciation for the other person. Some of y'all don't feel appreciated. I, I think if all of us are being honest, none of us would say, I don't want more love in my relationship. We're fine. I don't need more appreciation. It's all good. No, we love to be appreciated. We love to be loved and to love. And so I want to help you to communicate healthy. And so how do we get there? 
How do we get there? Well, I want to talk to you about two-way communication. Two-way communication. This is a style that as people who love Jesus, right, or as people just figuring out who Jesus is, we should be communicating this way. See, two-way communication is two people striving to understand each other with regard and esteem. So I'm not understanding you with bitterness. I'm not understanding you with frustration. I am holding you into regard and I am esteeming you. Do you know that healthy communication builds up? It does not tear down. Healthy, it doesn't avoid conflicts. I'm not a sweep it under the rug kind of person. I'm like, throw the dang rug out. Let's talk about this. That's me. But I can teach you, we can learn today this two-way communication. Well, we are carving out time. We're carving out space that we can sit down together. We could be in the car together. We can have a coffee together where you can tell me what's going on with you. Where I can understand the place that you're coming from, even if I don't agree with that place. I can still understand it. And we can still arrive at a mutual resolution. I would ask, how, how often do you connect with your spouse? How often do you cre- create these opportunities, hear me, not just in marriages, but with loved ones, p- to be able to communicate? Do you know that Jeremy and I, from the very beginning of our marriage, we have met Monday through Saturday in the morning. For almost 12 years, we've done this. Before, I would have a Dr. Pepper because I didn't drink coffee, but he would have his coffee, and we would meet in the living room, and we sit down, and we're just there. We're, we're sitting down, and now I've got my coffee. I started drinking that almost five years ago. Changed my life. What did I do in my 20s? <laughs> How do you live without coffee? I'm like superwoman with coffee. This is amazing. But anyways, we get our coffee, and we sit down in the morning. I'm not sitting on my phone. My phone is not even there, but it's my Bible app. No, it's not there. <laughs> and, I'm, and we're giving the opportunity for us to talk. I'll be honest with you. Not every morning is a heartfelt morning. Sometimes there's nothing that we want to talk about. We're just, we're just being with each other. And sometimes there are things that he wants to talk about. And over the years, he's become more of a morning person than me. And I'm like, one, coffee, one cup of coffee can't handle that, honey. You got you to give me an hour. And then we pause, and then I still make room for that. So I would ask you, are you creating an atmosphere? Are you creating space in your relationship for communication? This could be with teenage children. This could be with your little ones. Do you know that your little ones need time to connection and to communicate just as much as anybody else? And so communication is created between a family unit or even between a marriage. So how often do you do it? But see, here's what I think happens. is Proverbs 18.21 says this, the tongue can bring life and death. And those who love to talk are going to reap its consequences. See, I want to talk to you about sour words. I remember when we were about to get married, Jeremy asked my mom and my dad and my stepdad, I come from a big old blended family, he asked everybody <laughs> who, if he could marry me. And my mom asked him, are you sure? Right? I believe now 12 years later that if Jeremy and I were not to work out, I think my family would take him in. I think they would choose Jeremy. They love him. But my mom asked him, are you sure you want to marry her? And he's like, yes. She goes, can you handle her? He goes, Yes. And this is what my mom came and said to me after we got engaged. She goes, don't you sour that sweet man with your words. Because I'm sharp with my tongue. See, often I'm going to speak to the ladies right now. Men, you're just as guilty. But ladies, sometimes because we're not big in stature, right? We don't feel as tough. Some of y'all do CrossFit and I look up to you. You're awesome. That's not me. But I I don't feel big with my body. 
I can feel really big with my mouth. And when I feel big with my mouth, we try to cut others down. And my mom saw that in me. So sour, sour words. How many of y'all like sour candy, right? Sour candy, you like sour candy? Have some sour candy. You guys like some sour candy? Have some sour candy. There you go, right there. One more for you, Alicia. There you go, sour candy. I wanna tell you that if you keep souring things on the outside, it's not always gonna be sweet in your relationship. If we keep putting sour things on what we're intended to be sweet, the sweetness isn't always gonna taste so good. It's not always gonna be enough to erase the sour that we've already put in our mouth. So I wanna share with you four sour styles of communication. Because honestly, this is what I think that in this day and age, in 2019, even in 2018, I think that this, these are the styles that we do. And then I'm going to show you how to remix them, okay? You guys good with that? Yeah. All right. So here's what we do. Four styles. The first sour style of communication. You want to avoid these. If you're doing them, I'm going to ask you to stop them. Number one is criticism. Criticism is a broad sweeping attack on the character of another person. The character is who I am. And when I criticize somebody, I'm attacking who you are. Criticism blames the other person for the problems. Criticism implies that the other person is flawed and they are wrong and it often stirs up defensiveness in them. And so criticism could be like this. You're ridiculous. Why did you do that? That is so stupid. Why would you even consider making that happen? See what I'm saying? It's tough with our words. And, and those words are sour. And when we want to communicate, hear me, communication doesn't ignore problems. It attacks problems. But it builds up people. So communication, healthy communication, doesn't attack people. It attacks the problem. So as Christians, we should not be afraid to tackle tough subjects if we know how to, healthy, to have healthy communication. And so criticism. Instead of criticizing, here's what I want us to do. Make a clear complaint. Okay. You can still talk about tough things. You can still have a complaint. But listen, I said polite. Why do we think polite is an ancient word? Why do we think polite belongs in Downton Abbey and not in a show today in 2019? Polite seems like it's going out of style, but I'm telling you, polite needs to be happening in our relationships. Because most of us would not go to our boss and say things to our boss, but we don't hesitate to say things to our spouse. But yet we made vows to our spouse. The boss gives me a paycheck and we may be thinking, well, she'll never divorce me or he'll never divorce me. But as we say these sour words, guys, we're removing respect. We're removing intimacy. We're losing closeness. We're losing trust. And so remix it. I can still say that something's not right or that your behavior's not okay. And so let me show you how to do this. If I'm going to give a, com- a clear, polite complaint, let's say this is my problem. My problem is, is that my husband's office hours are Monday through Friday but he's choosing to work on Saturdays, right? We're all given the same amount of hours in a day. Some jobs have greater burdens than others, but he's working on Saturdays, and I'm home with the children. And I work Monday through Friday too, but I'm home with the kids, and Saturday and Sunday are my children's day off from school, and so my, my frustration is that I want him home, and that yet he's going to work. So how do I handle that? Oh, you're going to work again? Awesome. Oh, you're going to leave the kids and me again? Awesome. Are you going to bring home dinner? What are we going to do? Do I talk like that or do I do this? See, what I want you to do is step number one, describe the situation you are challenged with. Okay? I would say, you know what? It's hard being, being home on Saturdays. 
It's, it's after a long work week, and I'm trying to find things for the kids to do as a family, but I feel like our whole family isn't there. I, I'm struggling to, to recoup. I'm struggling to be refreshed. It's a struggle that Saturdays are hard for me. And then in number two, you're going to put your emotions into words. See, some of us have a hard time doing this, and we need to practice putting what we feel into sound words. Not hateful words, not hurtful words, but can I tell you how I feel? I feel overwhelmed. I, I, I feel lonely. I feel frustrated. I find, I find myself being tougher and less patient with the children because I, I'm frustrated at this. And then third, you're going to make a request for change behavior. Could you plan to be home next Saturday? I don't care if you, you work late on, on Friday night. If you got to wait, work late Thursday and, and Friday night, that's okay. Can you be with us on Saturday? So that's communication. We can solve the same problem, but in a way that does not offend or hurt people or stir up bad emotions. And so let's remix that. Second si sour style is contempt. Contempt. Sour candy. Contempt. This is when one person speaks from a position of they feel that they're higher than the other person. Let me, let me tell you for a second about Christian marriage. It's mutual, friends. It's not that one person is better than the other. It's not that one person is higher than the other. The Bible tells us to honor, to submit, to honor, to submit. Do you know what? That's revolving. To love you, to honor you, to submit for you, to give my life for you. That is mutual. And what God wants for us is that two become one flesh and that we have this respect. We have this love, this, this great respect and regard for one another. Not that one person is higher than another, but that you and I are, are equal. We're in this together as partners. But what contempt does is it, it involves name calling, hostile humor. It's a position, again, when someone is better than another person, there's phrases, these globalized phrases like you always... Or you never. Friends, you know what someone doesn't always. It's not never. Oh, it's never ready. Sometimes it's ready. <laughs> we can't say never. But contempt makes it seem like this is always it. Or it's never this way, right? But we can't have healthy communication if we are engaging in contempt. If we're using sarcasm to take jabs. Yeah. And friends, let me tell you, your children are so smart. Yeah. God, they're smart. And they understand sarcasm. If you watch any child show, even if it says it's okay for a seven-year-old, they're using sarcasm to take their jabs. And so when you use a sarcastic remark against their father, they know what you're saying, right? So what do we do? If we want to do this, Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to each other with mutual affection. Excel at showing respect for each other. Contempt doesn't respect. Contempt only cares about oneself. And so we want to remix contempt. I want you to recognize the good in the other person. Recognize the good. Do you know at Avenue, when we teach our leaders, we have amazing coordinators that run all of our teams. And we tell our coordinators, get used to praising people. We want it to be natural in you that when you see someone doing something awesome, when you see someone going the extra mile, I want you to stop everything that you're doing. And I want you to tell that person, you're fantastic. I appreciate what you are doing. You, you, you hit that note, it was killer. Or you taught that lesson with so much excitement. I'm so proud of you, or hear me. You saw that piece of trash on the floor. And I passed it five times wondering if somebody was gonna pick it up. But you picked it up. I love you, right? That is my love language. 
we do. People love to be praised, so hear me. Praise your spouse. Praise your children. They, we hear enough of what we're not doing right. Let's hear about what we are doing right. Take a moment. You unloaded the dishwasher. Thank you. You are awesome. And ladies are like, because I already asked you five times. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Thank you. If we get into the habit of looking to compliment for looking at, do you know that most men are words of affirmation people? They want a cheerleader. They didn't just enjoy the cheerleader at the high school football game. They want you pom-poms and all when you are 56 years old, still telling them that they are an all-star, right? And I need you, 56-year-olds, to get your pom-poms out and tell your man he's an all-star, right? Let me say this, and here's why. Let me say this. I am his wife. No other woman is his wife. No other woman should take the place of main cheerleader in his life. I don't need a coworker. I don't need somebody that, a friend's, a friend's spouse. I don't need somebody being cheerleader to him, right? You can encourage him. He's words of affirmation. I'm telling you, I'm not telling you, don't tell Pastor Jeremy a compliment. I'm confident, friends. We have a good marriage. I want you to tell him he's great. But you are not the loudest voice in his life. Jesus is in the number, numero dos. That's me. Okay? Me. I get to be the second person. So I say that, hear me, because no one gets the honor and privilege of being your spouse's spouse. That's right. That is your honor. That is your privilege to be that. And I know it's hard work. It is not easy being married to me. It is fun being married to Jeremy, but it's not always giggles and flowers. There's hard things. Why? Because two different people brought their lives together. That's right. But what a great privilege to do that. And so be what nobody else can be to your spouse. Right. No one else can take your place or should take your place. Amen? Mm -hmm. Amen. So I would ask, how generous are you with your words? Be generous. Be generous. Practice it. Here's our third sour style, and that is defensiveness. And if we're honest, we all do this style, right? Defensiveness is self-protective. It's a self-protective move where you pose yourself, I'm the victim. You pose yourself as the victim to try and make yourself sound right. Defensiveness doesn't, it's not concerned with solving the problem. It's concerned with not taking the blame. And so when I'm defensive and I'm not taking any of the responsibility, I'm just pushing it off, right? Nothing gets solved. So my question is, how defensive are we? And hear me, defense is not just a football thing. Defense isn't just something that we struggle with in our generation. Defensiveness went all the way back to the Bible. In fact, let me tell you about King David. King David is known as the man after God's own heart, right? But King David did something wrong. And hear me, when we do something wrong, we don't always want to own it. Because when we've done something wrong, most of the time, let's be honest, we know we did it wrong, right? But instead of, of acknowledging it, I don't want to feel the shame of what I did. So I just withdraw or I, be, I play victim, or I, I won't even deal with it. Oh, well, get over it, right? Suck it up, buttercup. I'm not going there. Well, King David did something really wrong. One day he was, one evening he went up to the roof of his, his fortress <laughs> because he should have been in battle. His, his men were fighting, his men were at war, and yet he was home. And he went up onto this rooftop at a certain time at night when it was known that local women were bathing on their rooftops because the water would be kept on the roof so that it could be warm by the sun all day. And then there's no street lights. It's pitch black dark, right? There shouldn't be a whole lot of light. They would come out and they would bathe. 
Well, David was up there and he saw a beautiful woman bathing. And he told his servants, I want that woman, bring her to me. And they brought her this woman and he slept with her. And she got pregnant. This woman was not his wife. In fact, this woman was the wife of someone who was in his army. This, David knew this man. So David called him from battle and said, here, come, come back here, come back here. How are you? How are things going? Are, are you, would you like to spend some time with your wife? He was hoping that he would want to sleep with his wife so that everyone would think that that was his baby and not David's baby. But this man of God, Uriah, was like, I can't sleep with my wife. I can't go to the comfort of my home when I have friends and those underneath me fighting for our people. I can't do that. It's wrong. And so he sleeps on the, on the steps of a palace instead of going home. And when David realized that he can't cover up his sin, he writes a letter to Uriah's commanding officer and he seals it. And he hands it to this man. He says, go back to war. And in that letter, it said, I want you to have Uriah go to the front lines. And when he is in the front lines at the front of the battle, I want everyone else to step back from him and leave him alone. Uriah was murdered out there. He was killed by the enemy, but yet it was all devised by David. And yet we find ourselves in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The baby, this illegitimate child had just been born. Hear me, it's not that child's fault. Do you know, I don't care how you were born, you are here, created for a purpose, with a purpose. Come on, somebody. I don't care who your mama is. I don't care who your daddy is. None of that, none of that will ultimately impact what God, the Heavenly Father, can do in your life. But now he has this child, and he still didn't feel the pain of what he had caused. And so God sends somebody to talk to him. Let me say something real quick. Just because you point out the wrong in somebody else doesn't mean they're going to get it. And sometimes we need to switch up our styles of communication to be able to get somebody to understand the weight of what they've done. So Nathan comes to him, and Nathan is a man of God. He's a prophet. And God sent him, and Nathan said, David, I want to tell you a story. You see, there is this rich, rich man. He had lots of sheep and lots of cattle. And there was a poor man that worked for him. This poor man had one little lamb, and he loved this lamb. In this story, it tells us that this man would even like eat with his lamb and sleep with his lamb and hold his lamb like it was a daughter. And I get it because I got a puppy and I love that puppy. I wish that puppy could come in my room and sleep in my bed, but my husband said no, so that's okay. I'm still praying. But this, this, this man loved this lamb like it was his child. He says the rich man's gonna have a feast. And instead of taking one of his sheep, Instead of taking one of his cattle and killing it, he takes the poor man's lamb, kills it, cooks it, and serves it to his guests. What do you think about that, David? David explodes. Are you kidding me? That man should be killed. That man should have to give away all of his stuff to this poor man. How could he? And Nathan goes, David, that man is you. You took another man's wife. You took his most prized possession, the love of his life. And then you sent that man off to his death. Don't you know, God said, I would have given you anything. And you know what David did? He felt the shame. 
But David says, oh my gosh, I've sinned against God. Do you know that to remix defensiveness, it's to take responsibility. Children blame. Grown-ups take responsibility. And sometimes it takes a story. Sometimes it takes us hearing how the other person is feeling to say, holy smokes, Batman. I didn't know it was that bad. But David repented. Do you know that he's still a man after God's own heart? God never called you to perfection. He is perfect. It's in him, Jesus in you, that makes you look perfect to God. Jesus, God did not call you to perfection. You're going to make mistakes, okay? But we can either ignore the mistakes that we made and act like they didn't happen, or we can take responsibility for them and we can repent. We can repent. We can say we're sorry. Do you know why I don't get to fight with this man very often? Because my first responsibility is to God. Do you know why I don't say everything that I want to say? <laughs> because my first responsibility is to my Heavenly Father. Because if I hurt him, I first hurt his, his God, my God. And so there's this, this layer of, of, of authority in my life where I don't want to do that. But hear me, if I have done it, the goal in, in this, this marriage, the goal in a relationship where, where Christ is our foundation is that I forgive you and you forgive me. See, I want you to have vision. If the people closest to you have hurt you, I believe that God can make all things new. I believe that people, when they own their sin and they give it to God, that God can change behavior. That through the Spirit of God working out in someone's life, things can be different. But hear me, it takes work. And are you willing to do it? You're willing to work overtime for your boss. You're willing to do that, but are you willing to make overtime here? Are you willing to put in the effort that it takes to listen to somebody? We're not always asking our spouse to problem solve. I just want you to hear me. I want you to hear that this is where I'm coming from. Even if you don't agree, the fact that I get that you get me, that brings me peace even if there's not a solution. Do we get that? People want to be heard. Why do you think so many people put their junk on Facebook? I'm telling you, it drives me bonkers, but I understand because they're not able to get it out with people. Yeah. And so what do we do? We, we post these significantly long posts that not everybody reads, but you got it off your chest. I'm asking for you to have conversations at home before you have them on your computer screen, to talk it out. And hear me, if you have a hard time communicating, then work on that. Work on that, and I'll, I'll close with some tools for that. Last thing I wanna say is the last sour thing that we do is that we stonewall, stonewall. You know what stonewalling is? It's I'm not gonna engage, I'm shutting down. And some of you know this, you've, you've fought the, the good fight too long, you try to tackle the same subject, you've danced around it, and finally one day you got tired of dancing. And so instead of communicating with you, I'm not, I'm not gonna engage, I'm not gonna listen, I'm gonna change the subject, or flat out I'm gonna walk out of this room. But here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want you to walk out of here today and stonewall everything I just taught you. I want you to say, you know what, God? Search my heart. Do you know that's what David did? Once Nathan ripped him a new one, <laughs> God will rip you a new one. There's nothing wrong with that. God says, I discipline who I love. We have to be corrected, friends. If we walk around thinking that we have no need for correction, we're never gonna grow. But healthy things grow. And sometimes it takes a little bit of correction. So if you are sitting on your seat and you feel
been spanked. That's okay. I love you. Jesus loves you. He can hug you and spank you at the same instance. But the goal is, is that you're not going to stonewall your spouse. You're not going to stonewall your child. You're not going to stonewall your mother. You're going to communicate. Because I have vision for this house. I have vision for Avenue Church that there are going to be healthy relationships in this place that change generations to come. We complain that there aren't enough men of God in the church. Do you know how many men I see in this room right now? Tons of men. There are tons of men at Avenue Church. Do you know how many men I see growing up in Avenue Kids? When I come to church at 7.30 in the morning and I see seven young little boys helping set up, walking around laughing, I say, that's our future. That's our future. And so I believe that if we get healthy in this place, it's going to have a ripple effect. It's going to have a great ripple effect in our city. I believe in the name of Jesus, no one else in my family, in my line, in his line, there ain't going to be divorce anymore. My grandparents are divorced. My great-grandparents are divorced. My parents are divorced more than once. His parents are divorced. The likelihood of us staying married, really, really low. But in Jesus' name, I'm going to be with you till the day I die. That's right. In Jesus' name, my son will be married till the day he dies or she dies. Why not? My grandchildren. See, hear me, friends. If you're so mad at your spouse that you don't think you can even make the time to communicate, I want you to think about your kids and what, what they're seeing. If you can't love your spouse enough in this moment, think about the little people who are around you because that's who they're learning from. God can change it all, but we gotta have vision. And how can we not have vision when we have forgiveness and we have fresh start? So would you stand with me today? If you are dating in this place and you feel comfortable, um, if you are married, I'd like you to take the hand of your spouse. Jeremy, you can come up here and join me. I'm going to read this to you. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Okay, so we read all these help books on, on relationships. I'm going to tell you, the Bible already had it down. It says, I want you all to be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters, husbands and wives. Be tenderhearted. Keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. And why? Because God's desire is to bless you, the scripture says. And so this is what I want to do today. If you are in this room, I'm going to be super discreet. But if you are in a relationship and you're in this room and you are holding that person's hand and there is something that you need to talk about. Hear me. Relationships have conflict. If something's not resolved or maybe you just don't feel connected, I'm going to give you the opportunity to squeeze a hand. I don't want you to squeeze that hand hard. I didn't even touch him. He's lying. <laughs> I don't want you to squeeze the hand hard because that's going to bring up defensiveness in the other person. But I'm going to give you the opportunity that you're just going to give a little squeeze. And what that little squeeze means is that I need you to make time for me, that we can have a conversation, that we need to talk. And so I'm going to pray for you. And as I'm praying, please feel free if you need to have that conversation. I pray that, that this place is just saturated with love and vulnerability, that you can have it. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you, Lord. And, and you wrote the book on communication. You did it all. And so we are literally just leaning into your strength. And we are picking up the tools that we discussed today. But I know, God, that we are nothing without you. 
but with you, Jesus, we can be all things. And so I ask God that you would strengthen relationships in this room. I pray, Father God, that you would give us the vulnerability that we won't be rejected, we won't be shut down, but God, that we can have these conversations. Because if we start having these good communication skills, if we start tackling these tough subjects, God, you are opening doors to the future that we could never imagine on our own. And I refuse to be stuck in the here and now. I want to see goodness. I want to see closeness. I want to see intimacy in the relationships at this church and the relationships to come. So, Father, we love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.